What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Poswell, and you are listening to part three of episode 21 of VGM Generations. And with me this time is Norm Garrett. Yep. Jordan Belinsky. Oh, hi, Mike. <laughs> and yeah, if you haven't seen the disaster and Aaron Blouch. Oh, <laughs> you were just talking about that. We were just talking about that movie. Yeah. I, disaster artist. We won't go on a tangent no, about it. So early. But you liked it. Oh, yeah, I liked it a lot. All right. There it's we good. go. That's all we need to say. And in this series of episodes, we are talking about Jingle Jams 2017. And it is a Jordan's turn to go first. So, Jordan, what do you have for us? I just got to say, I, every time you say that name, I love it more and more. Jingle good. Jams 2017. It's growing on you. We got to put out a compilation album. <laughs> <laughs> so every i get i get a little festive around certain holidays i especially around halloween i play a lot of horror games spooky games fun games like that i always want to do it around christmas but i mean there's not really any christmas games there's a lot of snow levels and snow games but uh there's one that's always popped up on my list and i've always kind of ignored it because it looked dumb not saying the game is dumb because, you know, I'm sure there's a fan base for the game I'm going to talk about. But this game that I want to talk about this week is called Days Before Christmas. And uh, I've, I always thought it was like a weird bootleg or something because it never officially released in North America. So I decided to do some research into the game and uh, I did enough research. I'm like, I just have to play this. I can't really talk about it if I've never played it. So, um, yeah, if... Uh, if I do a, what have I been playing this week? This, this is what I've been playing. I've been playing this game called Days Before Christmas. Can I ask a clarification question? Yeah. D-A-Z-E. That's exactly before it. Before Christmas. Are you All familiar right. or just no, the... No, no, but I just, I, I the way I had it. to be it. Yeah. yeah. Days. Days. Is it confused? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Days Before Christmas. Uh, this was developed by a company called Funcom. Uh, it was uh, published by Sunsoft. <clears throat> One of the last... Sunsoft published games from their US division, but this game only came out in Europe and Australia. There was a North American port that was planned, but it was canceled. And because this game is so obscure, I couldn't figure out why. I The only thing I could guess is there's not a huge market for Christmas games unless it's Christmas time. And even then, like, I don't know. Santa Claus on the cover. <laughs> yeah, when you open it as a present, it's Christmas is already over. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know we talk a lot of like snow levels are easy to come by and that's great. But like you said, no Christmas games. And the only one that comes to mind anytime somebody says it is Lemmings, which. Yeah, there know. are. There's a few. But uh, this is one that I've come across a few times, especially like last Halloween, I played uh, Kid Dracula and a few other ones. And I mean, a, uh, the website that I usually buy a lot of my reproduction cards of these weird, obscure games that never came out in North America. And we see this one on their list is the days before Christmas. So I'm like, OK, well, I'll, I'll play I'll play it for now and see how it goes. And yeah, I don't know. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, there might be a fan base of Days Before Christmas fans out there, but not not me. I'm not a fan. Like the ha that actual crossover to have like Days Before Christmas fans listening to our podcast, you're you know you're safe. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> low on the percentage. Scale, no way, I man! Think. Everybody who yeah. listens to this loves Days. <laughs> so this was originally a Mega Drive game. Uh, it was ported to the Super Nintendo. Now I hope I'm getting that right. The Mega Drive came out in Europe, and the Super Nintendo came up and came out in Europe not the Super Famicom because the Super Famicom was Japan only. And then in Japan, what did they get? The Mega Drive or the Genesis? Probably the Mega Drive. No, they got the Mega Drive in Japan. Yeah. Are you sure about this? I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm asking. I'm pretty sure the Famicom was uh, Europe. Europe as well because- Really? The only reason I say that is because on the- I think it was a Super Nintendo with the Famicom colors. 
Oh, uh, maybe. Because the only reason I'm saying that is because when... Uh, Oh, you know what? It was probably called the Nintendo, but it looked like the yeah, Famicom. That's what I yeah, think. That's what it was. Yeah. And I don't know for sure. I think that's what it is. So again, this game came out in Europe and Australia. I believe the company is actually Australian and that's where this game by Funcom was developed. Uh, the engine, I'm going to use that in quotations of, for this game was based off of another title called, uh, based off the movie, We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. It's one of the fun facts I found. <laughs> I on know the, that story. <laughs> I know that game. Yeah. <laughs> one of the fun facts on the Wikipedia page. So the game begins, uh, you play as Santa Claus. I love the level. It's not a level select screen, but it's like the overworld map is an advent calendar. So there's 24 levels in the game because, you know, you're leading up to Christmas. And the story goes that, Again, this is a story I got off the game by, by booting it up. Some evil snowman has scared away all the elves and Santa has to go and rescue them. So that's about the basis of the storyline. So you play through the game as Santa Claus. He's got a shoot and a jump button. The shoot is like some weird ice blast. Looks like Christmas magic he's throwing. And then, yeah, the jump is pretty self-explanatory. So the animation is really good. Um, there are, there are parts where Santa slides down a candy cane and he actually like rotates a full 360 degrees around this candy cane when he's sliding. And, and I guess I should, I should specify this as a 2d platformer. I just say shoot and jump. So I thought that was self-explanatory. So the animation is really good, but the gameplay sucks. <laughs> uh, have you guys ever played Bubsy? No. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I really like Bubsy. I know I'm one of the few, but <laughs> oh. you know, you know how when you play Bubsy and you start running and then he just seems to almost outrun the screen and it's almost like you have to take three steps and stop three steps and stop. And then the screen catches up and it's like, he's too fast for the game. Yeah, It's not the game. Yeah. I know yeah. what you're talking like, about. Kind of like when you're running in Sonic the Hedgehog, except in Sonic, the levels are designed for that. Um, in this game, they're not. So that is the pro one of the main problems I had with this game is as you start running, um, you can't stop in time for if you see a bad guy come up because by the time the screen slows down and you see a jump coming or a bad guy approaching, you've already run into him. So it's kind of crappy like that. Um, one of the cool features is uh, I think it's a power up. It's called the anti-claws. If you grab a... <laughs> If you, if you grab a cup of coffee and drink it, Santa transforms into anti-claws. And this is the opposite of Santa Claus. So he becomes a badass. He, uh, he transforms into blue clothes. He loses his hat in, in replace of horns for some reason. The music changes and he takes his, his sack of toys and he starts using it as a weapon to start clubbing all the bad guys. It reminds me of uh, who is that from Futurama? Like the Santa Claus in Futurama? Was it just uh, was it just robot Santa Claus? Claus? Yeah, who is it? Robo Claus? Robo Claus or I don't robot know Santa Claus? Yeah. But yeah, it becomes like an evil Santa Claus. <laughs> it's kind of got like you imagine bad to the bone is playing. You yeah. know, it's like that cheesy level of yeah, sure, like hop on your motorcycle. You're you're bad. Um, so I, I I'm hesitant to say it's a power up because. It, uh, if you can already shoot, why would you rather have a close range swinging weapon? Like he swings his, his sack to kill, <laughs> swings his sack to kill the bad guys, as opposed to having a blast that shoots across the screen. Is I don't know. Tougher? Like, no, cause everything is a one hit kill. So. No, it yeah. doesn't. Oh, and here's the other thing. 
Maybe it's when a morality lesson. When you're anti-clause <laughs> or don't drink coffee yeah. lesson. <laughs> when you're anti-clause, you can't pick up uh, items. So one of the main features is collecting presents because when you collect presents, you get points, you get enough points, you get more lives. Um, some presents you open and that's how you, how some of your elves are saved. They, they pop out of the presents. Uh, when you're anti-clause, you can't do that. So it's almost like in... Um, Donkey Kong, the original arcade, when you get the hammer power up, how you can't go up ladders, like you're almost penalized for using the power up. So you have to actively avoid these cups of coffee. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it reminded me of the poison mushroom from Lost Levels. I'm like, is this supposed to be a good thing that yeah. I should grab? And then it's a mug of coffee. So I'm like, I feel like Santa and coffee don't go together. So this is like their way of saying, don't, don't grab the coffee. Well, is there like a, is there like a, you know, because there's the cup of coffee, which would be your poison mushroom. And then is there like a regular mushroom, which is like a cup of hot chocolate there's, or something? No, <laughs> there's no, there's no like opposite to the coffee, but there, there are other power-ups that do good. Like there's um, something that turns your ice blast into a fire blast so you can melt ice. Um, but really like this coffee is in every level and it's just, I don't know, may, maybe I'm, I'm playing the game wrong, but I feel like it's, it's meant to be like this added thing. That's like the poison mushroom from lost levels. It's like you try to avoid it. Sounds like they put a lot of effort into it just to have you avoid it. So, you yeah, know, it know. probably was intended to be a good power up and then they just never implemented it properly. I, I went into the options menu and I found that there's a setting that you can dial up or down to increase the length of the power up. And by default, it's set to 10 seconds and it can only go up to 20 or 30 seconds. So the fact that it starts low and you can increase it makes me feel like it's not a power up. It's actually bad. Okay. Cause you know what it sounds like to me is it almost it sounded like it was intended to be like an invincibility thing, like but an invincibility star. It's almost like some programmer yeah. screwed up yeah. like, <laughs> to go with the melee weapon you're also invincible, but they just didn't put that in or it's forgot. It's going out like that, I guess. And I, I, that would make sense to me because if the fact that you're penalized for opening presents, like you can't open them at all tells me like, yeah, I could make sense. Like if it was like the invincibility star, but you had to kind of like wait out the clock to get to, to do the rest of the game. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like there, there are, of course, Jingle Jams, this fits in. It's it's a Christmas-themed game. There are snow levels. I was surprised to find that the first boss in the game after five levels was the snowman that they talk about that stole all the elves. So I'm like, okay, so are there snowman bosses after every level? Well, I played through the game. It wasn't very long, just 24 levels. The last boss was not a snowman. So the first boss of the game is the main antagonist that you hear about. Yeah, in the what's he fighting line. about after that? Sorry? What's he fighting for, fighting against after that? Well, the final boss is is a thundercloud. <laughs> that makes sense. You're stand, you're hopping this is from such a weird game. You're riding a cloud. <laughs> you're not riding in your sleigh. You're riding in a cloud. And you're, Santa Claus. And and there's a big angry cloud that's spitting lightning bolts at you. And you have to shoot your ice blast at this at this thundercloud. But your ice blasts don't hurt him unless you can hit these other floating clouds. There's these three clouds, mini clouds floating between as a barrier between you and the boss. And one of the three um, randomly starts glowing to show you that's the thunder cloud you need to hit. So if you shoot your ice blast at that little mini cloud, then a lightning bolt goes towards the final boss and you have to hit him enough times. It's a really dumb system and oh. it's not an interesting boss at all. But I mean, have you ever tried riding a sleigh in the air with thunder going on? Or with the lightning that makes sense. That's what I thought. I mean, like, that stands to reason it would be a big villain for Santa. Generally. Because you can't deliver presents on Christmas Eve if... Uh, 
there's bad weather, right? Yeah, and then he cools down the clouds and they condense and that dissipates the storm into a snow. <laughs> so, so it's a wow. weather game. It's, taking it's, this from a very yeah, scientific yeah. approach. <laughs> I think you figured it out. That commentary must... on global climate change. <laughs> That's right, yeah. That well, makes a lot more sense. That makes sense. Um, there are a couple other neat things I'll talk about. But Wait, the... I just thought of something. What? You said this is an Australian developed game, right? Yeah. Australian seasons are flipped. Yeah. So December 25th, it might be raining in Australia. Are there six white boomers? <laughs> <laughs> no Snow white boomers. No. no. Okay. There, there's. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll talk a bit more about some of the other features in the game, but I just want to get this over with because. Uh, <laughs> Let's, let's, so I didn't pick a snow level. There's the whole game is a snow level. Essentially. I wanted to play the title theme and I picked the SNES port because I listened to the two soundtracks and the mega drive is missing something that the SNES port had. Now the SNES port had a composer and I believe one other person developing this over a six month period. The mega drive had a whole team of people. Um, I think when I beat the SNES port though, everybody was credited from the Mega Drive version as well. But uh, the, I'm gonna play the title theme because the title theme from the SNES version had lyrics. It had vocal samples. So of course I have to pick it. It has Santa Claus in it. So let's listen to the title theme to Days Before Christmas. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Slightly disappointed because you know Mega Drive and the uh, the FM chip and they used know, up that, all that their Genesis memory sound. on the Sega <laughs> and there's no memory left for their own vocal that's samples. The, that's the only vocal sample they could have. Yeah, you know what it sounds like is like just some random Joe who was in the studio that day trying to do a low voice and then they've like 
deepened the pitch yeah. and slowed it down. The a cleaning bit, guy right? was was yeah. sweeping in the studio, and the sound guy was like, "Come here, come here, I need a Santa." <laughs> no, they they didn't even want to spend the money on that. They just went down to the mall and had the guy hide <laughs> yeah. behind the mall Santa, <laughs> the mall Santa with a little po- pocket recorder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even tell him he was being recorded so no. they could save money. Um, so outside of the platforming levels, there's a couple really missed potential here. There's some flying side scrolling shmup type levels. Um, you actually do fly around in your reindeer in the sleigh with your reindeer. Um, like every three or four or five levels, it switches back to one of these from the platformer types. You're riding in your, with your reindeer through the sky. Uh, I think like the first one is like, you start in London and you're flying over London and uh, your shoot button doesn't shoot forward. It shoots down because you're shooting presents and you need to land them all in the chimneys. So instead of bad guys and targets, you're aiming for chimneys. So you're flying over London and there's all these like chimneys and they're really hard to see, except for the fact that they're all marked with smoke coming out of them. So you see the smoke, you fly over, you shoot, you throw your present in, And that's where you get your points. Hold on a minute. A real logistical problem with the fact that there's smoke coming out of these chimneys. What the hell is Santa thinking? Like he just wasted Christmas essentially. Well, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Is it like industrial times and there's coal in the gifts and he's dropping it in? So they have free fuel. Yeah, maybe. There should be a little flare up after you drop every gift. I like. I feel like this game had such potential and it just totally did. And it was just. I feel like they added the smoke because of how bad the level was designed that you couldn't make out the fact that you were supposed to be throwing your presents into chimneys. And it's funny that I played it and I didn't even clue into the fact that you were throwing your presents into (laughs) the fire. fire. (laughs) At least Sand himself wasn't going down there. Yeah, 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 that's true. And I, I forget, I think there are bad guys flying at you. It was such a poorly designed level because when I first started playing, I was actually trying to dodge the buildings because I felt like I, the way it was drawn, I was going to slam into the side of a building and die. And then it turns out it's all part of the background. So you can just fly straight through everything, but somehow all this stuff in the background, you can throw your presence like into these chimneys that are off in the background somewhere. So I don't know. <laughs> I got to see this game. You don't want to see this game. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> so that's enough for days before Christmas. But uh, Norm, what do you have for us this week? I'm going to be talking about Bravely Default. Weird named game. Uh, Very came, popular though. Yeah, it came out in 2012 for the 3DS. I played it. Uh, I was looking forward to it. Uh, mainly because it was intended to be a modern version of classic Final Fantasy. So back to the NES and SNES style Final Fantasies. And I mean, it is Final Fantasy in everything but name, right down to some of the item names, all the summoned monsters, the jobs and that kind of stuff. Um, But they didn't carry over the Final Fantasy name. I think they did early in development, but uh, they abandoned that for Bravely Default Flying Fairy, which is really... Really awkward name. Just the core series is so far away from it now that and yeah. they, they can't cross those over anymore, I yeah, guess, eh? I guess so. I'm not sure. But yeah, so as I didn't mention it, but uh, published by Square Enix. Uh, sorry, developed by Square Enix and published by both Square Enix and Nintendo uh, for the 3DS. Uh, so like I said, it's a return to the roots. It retained a lot of the elements of, of Final Fantasy. Um, and it, it was pretty good. Like I got, I got into it. Uh, I saw it through. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, and the music was 
the music was was quite good. It wasn't the best. There was a bit too many penny whistles for my taste. But <laughs> um, yeah, one thing I will say about it though is it has the best town music I've ever heard in a RPG. Typically, the town music I've always found kind of boring and passed it over. But every town kind of has its own unique theme. Uh, and it's all really, really well done. It's funny you should say that because as soon as you mentioned that, I was like, town theme. That needs to be a theme for the podcast because there's lots of great town themes that I can think of. Yeah, and there's at least six in this one. So yeah, if we did let's it, do I town would, themes. I feel oh, like maybe. That. Yeah, anyway, I, I liked, loved all the town themes. So I've chosen a town theme. It's from, uh, there's kind of a northern kingdom, uh, snow everywhere, and uh, it's called The Land of the Undead. I'll get a bit into the composer and... and his deal after this, but let's have a listen first. The Land of the Undead from Bravely Default.
town called the Land of the Undead. It's weird. Very welcoming. Yeah. Their, no, town, their slogan on the sign that's just when the name you of the song, isn't it? Yeah. Well, all the town, all the song names are the land of, there's like the land where you begin, the land of flowers and that kind of thing. Well, the so town has to, to the be in the of land of the undead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It kind of describes the, the kingdom that, that you're visiting. So, so are the people in this town undead? No, I think they're just bored. Uh. I don't know if it's a metaphor or I can't quite remember. <laughs> a uh, metaphor for so, boredom. They're so depressed. Yeah. I there's think there's zombies. zombies and stuff in the overworld and stuff. And you know, ice themed stuff anyway. You didn't pick a battle theme. No, I didn't. Uh, the battle themes, well, they were, they had decent melodies, but they were a bit too muddy. They, they hit the electric guitar a bit too much and mixed it with, like I said, penny whistles, which kind of got <laughs> a bit irritating. That's such a weird combo. Yeah, it, was, it was still okay. Um, and So it was composed by this guy who calls himself Revo. His uh, name is Yasuo Kamanaka. Uh, he's, he's, one, he's one of those eccentric composers that kind of has his own look and he's almost like a rock star kind of thing. With a name like Revo, you kind of think you can kind of visualize, right? Um, he's got kind of a group called Sound Horizon, but for this game, they rebranded as Linked Horizon. So really eccentric names. Um, that's, yeah. Uh, Sounds that's, like a JRPG composer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah. like that's a very JRPG thing to have like the really stylish, like kind of out there composer with, who has, has his own band, group yeah. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like you you mentioned, it was really really well received, and uh, I think uh, Square in Japan were pretty surprised at how well it was received in the West. And as a result, they decided to kind of change their marketing strategy as far as Japanese RPGs go. And I think it did a it did a big uh, service to uh, JRPGs in the West. Um, gave it a bit of a boost, I think. And we've seen quite a bit more releases in the last few years i don't know if it's sure. directly related to bravely default or not but probably a contributing factor though yeah and they they did do a sequel just a couple of years ago uh bravely defaults <gasps> second layer okay uh, <laughs> for a second i thought that one had like a really ridiculous uh title but i'm, I'm thinking of something else yeah second layer kind of yeah. ridiculous but uh i i tried it i couldn't get into it as much as i could get into this one that was kind of the general consensus is that it wasn't as good but still good so I may get to it at some point, but uh, not yet. Very good. It's got that very like, you know, it, it sounds like a winter theme. It's because it's got that ethereal slow chimes. Yeah, very the yeah, the wind chimes yeah, in the background stuff, yeah, for sure. That kind of stuff. So you said there are some zombies in this level? Uh, honestly, I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was so. just, as you were describing it, it reminded me of like, uh, like beyond the wall and in, uh, Winterfell in like in Game of Thrones, <laughs> like yeah, the White Walkers, the White Walkers, yeah, White Walkers, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that. Uh, the story was actually pretty darn good in this compared to uh, other JRPG games. I find generally it they all, uh, I've talked about it before. They all eventually you just end up trying to kill God or something like that. But uh, it it's it focuses a lot on the characters and stuff like that. So not bad. Yeah, but I like the game overall. Very good. I'll have to pick your brain on JRPGs because uh, that's a one genre I know I'm greatly missing out on, especially with the music. I can't get into it, but I'll have to tell you my reasons why. I have a few things about it. I'm sure you can just give me a huge list of ones that avoid this one thing that I don't like and, and give what, me well, a, what's oh, the thing? What's I the don't thing? I don't like the battle system in JRPGs. I don't like how it oh, how like it, the turn based. 
Yeah, I don't like turn-based fighting because for me, it stops the game or slows it down. And I really don't like the games in the, er maybe, maybe this has stopped, but in the early days where you're walking through a field and then you get stopped by a bad guy and then you're AKA forced. Pokemon. Maybe you could get <laughs> yeah. more into something like uh, more recent, like uh, Final Fantasy 15, which is like all open world and you come across the enemies and it's not turn-based, but it still uses the same systems. I see games like Chrono Trigger and Secret of Mana, and I know I'm missing out so much on some of the best games ever. Um, so yeah, maybe pick your brain. Maybe you can recommend some stuff for me so I can get into the franchise. Cause I'm sure once I get into it, I can get over that because it's not really that bad of a thing. It's just, it's not for me. Well, so. You brought up Chrono Trigger and I actually thought that was one of the first uh, JRPGs that I ever played that tried to sort of circumvent get that, away that, get away from that a little bit because the battles sort of happen in active real time and it had that Final Fantasy system where you're basically filling a battle meter before you can attack and things are still happening in real time and on top of that, when you're in the overworld, in most cases, you can avoid enemies. You can see them coming. So it's not just, yeah. it's not a completely random battle. I've, I've been told before that Chrono Trigger is the one I should play first, but yeah. Mm. I, and I think since Final Fantasy four, there's always been menu options to speed up the combat. If it's, if it's too slow for you, where to the point where it's almost real time. If you don't act now, you're going to get your butt whooped. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 So th there are options that make it a bit more intense so that that's, the first thing I would say, try that, make it, okay. uh, make it too fast for you and go from there. Cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah. No, it's something norms. Definitely our resident, you know, JRPG so glad guys. He's on so the we're all kinda, now. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. But it, it's just bad. Cause like, we're all kind of quiet while he talks and then we have like nothing to say other than like, I don't really like our JRPGs. When, when, you, when you talk, <laughs> when you talk about JRPGs, it's like going to school. I sit here and I take notes yeah, mentally. Exactly. I'm like, okay, yeah. I need to play that. <laughs> play that, play that. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I'll go on to me next. And, uh, for this week I chose, uh, Banjo and Kazooie and Freeze Easy Peak. Um, so this was a game obviously developed by Rare, uh, published by Nintendo in 1998. And the music is by the fantastic Grant Kirkhope, uh, one of my favorite composers to follow on Twitter. Uh, just as a quick aside before we even get into it. Uh, he loves, especially around Christmas, to uh, tweet out himself dancing to Christmas music and drinking eggnog with, I can only assume, rum in it. So yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you're not following Grant Kirkhope on Twitter, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice. But uh, yeah, let's go into Banjo-Kazooie a bit. So uh, I read, or actually I listened to another podcast uh, that interviewed Grant about his work on the Nintendo 64, especially, and with uh, Banjo and Kazooie, and um, took some notes from that. So uh, one of the things that they talked about and focused on a lot in that um, podcast is even on the N64 and uh, your pick uh, last week on the GameCube, you know, talking about very limited amount of memory for music. And the 64, it seemed like that was even more intense. It was very hard to fit things in and make them sound good. Uh, so um, it, the one, the, one of the first things he said was like, you know, a lot of Grant, Grant Kirkhope's music is known for having marimba in it. Uh, and people always thought that he was like, you know, really liked the marimba and that's why he stuck it in everywhere. But he's like, no, it's not that it's that it was one of the few instruments that sounded good when you pitch shifted it because the whole thing was you would put a note in in about the register you wanted it and then you would just pitch shift it you wouldn't actually put in a second note because that took up more memory you were just modifying the one you had in there um so and things like symbols and stuff were terrible because they have a really long decay so you couldn't use them at all what they would do is that they would uh they would 
play the attack and then they would chop the decay up and just repeat it and then like smooth it over. So it set, sort of sounded like a decay. So, yeah. and he was just talking about like, he's amazed that people still like the music because uh, at the time when they were making it, they were like, God, this sounds terrible. Yeah, this <laughs> seems like it would like started to become a big problem once they actually used like sampled instruments and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. And so, and he was talking about um, actually just in the, in the development of music, this is kind of going to just be an N64 music development you know, story, but, um, people thought that what they did was just write mini music and then compress it and throw it on the N64. And he's like, no, it's not that at all. You had to basically create yourself a little, um, a little orchestra of sounds and then you would write the music and then you would put it in there. And then, and then after that, the 64 itself would compress it. So, uh, one of the things that he had rare do for him as one of the programmers there was after he had created his like orchestra of sounds, it, he had basically, uh, a uh, keyboard that was going into a computer that was going directly into the N64 and then play the audio out of that because he couldn't get a real feel for how it would sound in the game until he went through that whole loop because the, the 64 itself was doing some compression on top of it. Um, so one of the things he actually talked about too was that like um, Grant's known a lot for his melodies for, you know, hummable, whistleable melodies and stuff like that. And he was talking about how like movies and stuff today are kind of getting away from that. And he really dislikes that. He really uh, prefers the John Me Williams. both, brother. Yeah. <laughs> the John Williams school of thought where you come out of the movie and you can hum the tune as you're walking down the street kind of thing. Um, some of the other things he did was um, uh, ambient sounds um, like uh, waves or bird tweets or something. He would always make it, it was on a loop, but he would always make the loop shorter than the music loop so that it, the bird tweet didn't come in the same place in the to song all the time. It. Exactly. Yeah, and so smart. it always would sound random little stuff like that. Um, well, and plus, um, I heard this from David wise, so I'm sure there was a lot of sharing going back and forth with, uh, with grant, uh, with the rare team, they would incorporate a lot of sound effects that maybe the sound effect team would use, but they would incorporate it into the music instead to, uh, to help play with the ambience a lot more, right? Because yeah. it wasn't just music. Sometimes, like you said, the birds chirping, that's actually part of the music, not part of the general sound effects. Yeah, and so and so he was working with MIDI uh, on the 64. So that's 16 channels max is what you have with MIDI files. Um, and so what he would do is actually, um, Aaron, something you've mentioned before in the past, the old... Um, uh, what was it? Lucas arts system. What was that called again? iMuse. iMuse. So they were real big fans of that at rare. And they said like, we want to kind of do our own version of it. So what they would do was, so you had 16 tracks maximum for like a level. And so, but within the level, um, this game was really known for like, it's, constant looping and crossfading of music. So he said they would draw like invisible lines on the level. And so it was like when you walk across this line, the song that's playing fades out and the song that's supposed to be playing fades in. And so, and they were trying to kind of imitate that IMU system because they were really real fond of it. Did you just stand on the line and tiptoe back and forth and <laughs> fuck up the music? <laughs> I, I guess if you knew where it was, but it was all hidden. There was no, yeah. there's no way to see it visually. It was all underground kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, if you will. So, um, the other couple things, uh, he just talked about working at rare at that time. Um, rare was trying to be better than everyone else. Rare wanted to make games better than Nintendo was making them for Nintendo consoles. And so he was talking about like tiny little things that they would do um, just to innovate and to develop and to just to be even to go the extra mile and everybody there was doing it. And like one of those things that I thought was amazing, this isn't about music, but um, they made every team at rare 
who was doing a game, they made them rebuild their own engine. So like, even if they had an engine that was perfectly working and perfectly good, they were like, no, you have to build your own engine because we've optimized things for this game with this engine, but your game might want to do something different and you might have to optimize it differently. So you have to go off and build your own engine. And like today that'd be unheard of, right? Yeah. With like ports to PC from console and stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And like with uh, like everyone and their like dog uses unreal engine now for most games in the modern era, right? Because it does so many things so well, but they were like not even in studio would they share an engine. So I thought that was amazing. Uh, the final thing I'll say before we listen to freeze easy peak was um, uh, David released the entire soundtrack for banjo and perfect dark for free on Bandcamp after seeing a physical copy of perfect dark uh, of perfect dark soundtrack go for $500 on eBay. So he was just, he was so fed up with that, that he said, it's all going out for, for free, but sadly it's not there anymore. Yeah. I checked. <laughs> well, <laughs> somebody can. must be hosting it somewhere. Somebody's hosting yeah. it somewhere, but it's not on Bandcamp anywhere, but let's listen to freeze easy peak from banjo kazooie. Thank you. 
I was just going to piggyback off your comment about uh, Rare and the rebuilding of engines. Now, I'm pretty sure Jeff Force Gemini was Rare, was it not? Yeah, I think yes. so. Yeah. And uh, in a callback to the last um, episode, when I was talking a lot about Metroid Prime, it was interesting that originally Metroid Prime was going to be a third-person game, but Miyamoto saw all of the difficulties they were having over at Rare with another game that he was helping out with, Jet Force Gemini, and the engine they were having on that, that he basically decided, no, this isn't worth the trouble. And that's why Metroid Prime became first person because of huh. problems that Rare was having with their engine. That's interesting. So talking about uh, switching perspectives. Um, so Banjo-Kazooie, the development story of Banjo-Kazooie is kind of an interesting one. It actually started out as an RPG for the SNES called Dreams, uh, which is kind of weird that we went from, an, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's such a big gap. So um, the character, the main character was a young boy called Edison and his dog Dinger. Uh, and they were, it was a pirate. It was like you were fighting pirates in the game. And the whole thing was um, they wanted it to have ACM graphics that were even better than Donkey Kong. And there actually is some footage of that game, of this game out there. And it was an amazing looking game for the SNES. Like it was, it was late in the SNES, SNES's life cycle. And it was an amazing looking game. But then um, after, uh, after about two months of developing this game, the 64 was coming out and they decided to move the game to the 64. And that's when the game started to change. And, um, it went through a bunch of different changes, but, uh, at one point Edison became a rabbit and then he became a bear. And then that's the way where the original, um, look of banjo came from. Um, he was also really into skateboarding at one point and when he would move, he would do like skateboarding moves in the air, even though there wasn't a skateboard there. <laughs> they called him Poochie for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, so, um, development continued on dreams for another 16 months, um, before they scrapped everything and said, we're not making an RPG anymore. Um, and then it became Banjo and like the character became Banjo and the game was actually called Kazoo. So Kazooie wasn't a character. The game was called Kazoo and it was a 2.5 D platformer, not full 3d. Um, and then, uh, at some point in the game, they said, uh, we want, um, we want him to have a double jump and they were like, how are we going to do a double jump? And the character always had a backpack and they were like, maybe we'll just have like an other set of like robotic legs come out of the backpack and that will be his double jump. And then they were like, well, maybe it should be a bird. And then that's how Kazooie came about. So <laughs> the story of the this development is like the definition of development hell this game it, it was just weird, so right? Much. It went through a lot of changes. Um, 
so and then they said uh yeah so then we're gonna create kazooie um and then so it's still all the way up to this point it's still a 2.5d platformer and then uh the team because they were working with nintendo got to play uh er, a really early build of super mario 64 and they were like no we got to go through full 3d as soon as they saw super mario 64 they were like that was the game that everybody said, oh, this is garbage. We need to make Mario 64, our version of it now. Exactly. And so they went full 3D. And one week after they saw that, they had a, f- a working prototype of the first level, Mumbo's Mountain, ready to go. And um, and then 16, 16 months after that, the game was done, which is amazing to me that they turned it around in that in that short amount of time, considering like the whole first game had been 16 months and then scrapped. And then they had... Banjo Kazooie ready to go in 16 months. So yeah, it's a long development cycle for uh, the type of game. Though. Yeah. So, but it was just that it had changed, morphed, and changed, and morphed, and then huh. we got Banjo Kazooie. How much stress do you think this inflicted on employees? <laughs> probably a lot. It's probably a lot. Well, and was Banjo not uh, their first IP? I could be wrong, but maybe there was a lot of pressure on them. They because they had only really been doing. You mean besides DK or? Well, so rarely, well, I guess, yeah, it wasn't theirs. Yeah, the, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like they own Battletoads. So maybe Battletoads is the yeah, first one. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong. But they, they wanted him but to be But it would have been their first in a character. long time because they had been doing a lot of Nintendo's work and Banjo was going to be one of theirs. Yeah. So. And Grant actually talked about in this interview that I listened to that like when it was Dreams, he was composing like kind of mystical RPG music. And then they were like, hey, now we have like this kind of goofy 2.5 or yeah at the time 2.5 d platformer like compose for that and so you have to kind of like kind of do a 180 and stuff like that so yeah, i get upset if i'm working on something at work for like two weeks that gets scrapped so <laughs> yeah, yeah imagine yeah. 16 months yeah so there you go that's the crazy story of banjo kazooie but became a very iconic uh game and a game that a lot of people remember with a with a lot of fondness and freeze easy peak is a very good looking level it's you know it's very wintry you're, there's snow everywhere. and I watched a playthrough of it actually in anticipation of this podcast. Oh, so there you go. So you know all about it. Fresh in my mind. I yep. just like saying the name Freezeezy. Yeah, it's a good name. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's tons of, uh, there's, I'm going to keep it, I'm going to cut it off there, but there is tons and tons of information about uh, Banjo-Kazooie out there online. If you are a fan of this game and you want to know more about the crazy development and all the stuff that happened with this game, there's stuff about secret eggs that were in the game but didn't actually work. Um, but yeah, there's all if, sorts if of If I stuff. could just quickly recommend one thing. If you want to know about Banjo-Kazooie, don't, don't watch Did You Know Gaming. Uh, check out Rare's web uh, YouTube page because they have a really cool behind the scenes. They have their own Did You Know Gaming? Yeah, yeah, on the whole development, like really cool stuff. And I've seen it on a lot of the games that they've come up with. And a lot of it is like a uncompressed video footage and audio, and it looks and sounds totally different than what you remember, so. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's it for my pick. Aaron, what do you have for us this week? Uh, I'm going to harken back to a to a game that I talked about like on our third episode or something like that. Third way or fourth back. episode, way back. So I'm going to bring up a game that's near and dear to my heart. It's The Goonies 2 on the NES. Oh, yeah. The Secret, Mermaid. Yeah, the one where you rescue a mermaid for some reason. <laughs> In Japan, it was called like uh, Goonies 2 Fratelli's Revenge or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a sequel to a Famicom game that never got released outside of Japan. So there was an original Goonies 1 game, which was totally different than this one. And this was the one where everybody saw the cover art and thought 
it was going to be a movie, it, right? A movie, because yeah. it, it, had, it had a beautifully painted cover art like that a proper looked movie like a movie poster. poster yeah. Yeah. I love that about this game, that <laughs> it should be. Like, if they ever make a Goonies sequel, which they should, because Goonies is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's you're right. They should base it on this. Screw it. Like, I know yeah. the mermaid is weird, but that's, uh, that's part of what makes it awesome. And uh, it had an ice level in it just randomly because it had, it was one of those games where, you know, there was no logic. You start basically, if, if people know the movie Goonies, um, when it starts, they're in a restaurant and they go underground <laughs> under the restaurant and into these like pirate caverns and that kind of thing. So this game starts in that restaurant and you go under it and you're in like lava caverns and these weird caves. There's a suspension bridge. There's an ice level. You go underwater in a scuba suit at some point. There's like... Uh, you well, know, that the, makes sense with the yeah. mermaid, I guess. And the idea is that the Fratellis, this criminal organization, has captured Mikey's friends. So the Goonies are all captured and you have to go rescue them. And on top of that, a mermaid, which has never really explained why the mermaid is is there. But what a weird game. <laughs> do you think, what do you think came first, the scuba suit or the mermaid? <laughs> One justifies the other. I'm yeah, willing to right. bet <laughs> the scuba suit uh, came first. One thing I have to mention about this game, and this just sort of recently occurred to me, is how weird the power-ups in it are. So I was thinking about the ice caverns. And it's one of the, it's a place you go to fairly early in the game. And it's very short. You like enter this door, you go through this ice thing, you rescue one of the Goonies and you move on to the next place. And while you're there, there's an icicle. This is a classic video game thing. An icicle drops from the ceiling and tries to hit you in the head. Now it's easy to avoid. It's generally, it falls from pretty high. Sometimes you're pretty low. It never really comes near you. Um, but you can get a power up in the game that is a football helmet. Football helmet has one function and it's to stop these icicles from hitting you <laughs> the icicle appears in the game literally twice <laughs> that's hilarious so they went all yep. the all the work of putting in that power up for two times exactly and and the thing is is i will go and i will and i will get this helmet power up and i will specifically try to, to make get hit. The, to get hit and i will i will jump into the icicle to get hit because not only does it bounce off your head like it yeah. actually just bounces off it makes a really satisfying sound effect too <laughs> so i will go and i'll get like the jump boots just so i can like make the distance and jump into this icicle because i went through the trouble of getting the stupid football helmet got to get your money's worth right exactly yeah. but i it occurred to me that a lot of the power ups in the game are like this it's just like you know, one time use yeah like the the diving suit's cool you at least get that and you use it a couple of times but you also get like a raincoat at one point and it has one function it's there's the these, one drop it, of rain that falls down yeah it's like there's <laughs> these geysers in this one level but outside of those geysers you don't need this item at all it's just so weird that they have these like sometimes difficult to get power-ups they that, sound pretty throwaway though yeah but it, part of the fun to me is just collecting them so it doesn't even matter if the power-up is essentially useless yeah I was, I think it kind of occurred to me because while I was researching this podcast, something that didn't come up before is that uh, the site Game of Sutra, which isn't really a big gaming site, it's more about like game development site and the gaming industry in general. They actually had a list, uh, an article, an old article that was like the top 20 open world games of all time. And Goonies 2 was on that list, which was, which was awesome I, to me. It I mean, is I an open world game. Yeah. yeah, it is. You could really, you could go anywhere. You could backtrack. You could, uh, pick things up. You could, uh, I don't know if you could actually get there right away, but you could almost get to where you could get to where Annie was being held captive. Like right away, you could go right to the final door where she was being held captive. And it was awesome. Cause you'd go into these like first person mode and you'd walk through these little areas. And when you see the door that Annie was behind, it was like this 
ridiculous large as a screen safe door metal bolts levers like it looked intense it's like you knew that that was your ultimate goal because it looked so important and you could actually like go to that area and even in one of the very first areas in the game like a lot of times as you were traveling through there would be a wall and you could see more parts of levels on the other side of the wall and they'd be like areas from much much later in the game and like one of the first things you see is the area where Annie actually is being held captive. And this game had so many weird design choices, just like those like one-time use power-ups, just like hidden doors that you, they give you no clue where they were. You just had to hit up to enter the door randomly to find it. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Sometimes doors would appear by, by bombs. Yeah. And you so had no idea Zelda-ish, where to bomb. I yep. guess. And it, that was the thing is like Zelda, at least there was kind of a rhyme or reason to where the bombing was. It was different walls. But these were just like, Throw a bomb anywhere randomly and mm. maybe a door might show up that... Reminds me of um, Yoshi... Was it Yoshi's story? Where like the flowers are just sometimes hidden randomly in the air and you yeah. just have to throw eggs all over every level to try and find it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one of those games. I was do- thinking about this the other day with like Wolfenstein where it's like you want to find all the secret areas then run against every wall pressing the space bar and maybe a door will open. Yeah, I feel like they designed it that way intentionally to uh, increase the length of the game just to add a little more right yeah it's one of those games that's like if you didn't have a strategy guide how were you supposed to play this game but it occurs to me as a kid not only did i beat this game not only did me and my brothers find every single power up in goody and beat it multiple times we never had a power a, a strategy guide for this game ever but that that's the way like so as a kid that was the way it was then Today, that would never happen because you would just move on to another game. But as a kid, it was like you had like four games in your collection. Yeah. And if you didn't play the Goonies 2, then you had nothing else to play. Exactly. And as I've even said in the past, this is one of the first games we ever bought. I remember the day we bought this game. In fact, I remember the day we went to the store. We went to this place in the town. I was I was. Live, we were living in at the time and there was uh, this store that was like weirdly it was an electronic store but I think they also sold trampolines for God knows what reason <laughs> every company had video yeah. games back in the day they were buy with the laundry mat was selling video games and the day we got Goonies 2 they were having some sort of like uh, special sale where there were balloons all around the store and you'd pop a balloon and then it would be a little slip of paper and it would tell you how much you got off on the, uh, on the game so we got some sort of discount on Goonies 2 that day but like that memory stands out so, you know, even the memory of getting Goonies 2 is, is a big gaming moment for me specifically. So, and I didn't really do all my due diligence on, uh, on the game itself. So let's just get the quick stuff out of the way. As I said, NES, developed by Konami, um, published by Konami. The composer is Satoe Ter- Terashima. And uh, the game came out in 1987. So it's going a ways back. So. Same time when the, the, the Goonies 2 movie came out, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's secret release. It was one theater yeah. one night and then yeah. never again. And then yeah. they burnt the movie real. They, yeah, they and, burnt every copy yeah. of it. <laughs> I, I'm going to go off on a little tangent just because of that. <laughs> um, that uh, Speaking of like secret Goonie movies is apparently with the, the first Goonies came out, there was a scene in the trailer where they were fighting like a giant octopus that didn't actually appear in the movie. So it was kind of one of those things that cutting room floor, cutting room floor, but everyone like swears that they saw this part in the movie that it actually existed. And you know, it's one of those urban legend things where it's like, like, did it exist? Did it not exist? Mm -hmm. Is it actually a real thing? Yeah. It's like the uh, Berenstain, 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 where people remember it one way and they swear (laughs) it happened and it never did. Yeah. And it's just funny that like without the internet 
to verify any of this yeah. stuff, it just became this ridiculous urban legend. So there is almost like a secret part of the Goonies movie that exists out there. So. Yeah, yeah. So uh, without further ado, let's listen to The Ice Cavern from Goonies 2. got a very distinct style the whole game goonies too uh i one the one i played on the podcast before is uh though i mentioned that the uh i can't remember the composer now um but the other composer of this game is cindy lopper because uh mm-hmm. the song goonies are good enough was the other song that i've actually played from this right 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 <laughs> that's so but, funny to me cindy lopper beyond the cindy lopper uh track in this the actual music the konami music from the game is fantastic like the whole soundtrack is one of my favorites Konami didn't make any bad music back in those days. No, they did That's not. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. Yeah, Konami was Konami and they had and a very, were killing it. A very unique sound that you heard it and you're like, "That's Konami." Mm-hmm. This uh, game also had uh, Konami Man in it, which I don't know if I've mentioned that in the past. But I was talking about those hidden doors. Sometimes when you go in a hidden door, you would encounter a character who would refill your health, and that was Konami Man, who was essentially a Konami themed superhero. I yeah. need to yeah, see I this. I had no idea. Yeah. I think you did mention him, before. and he's appeared in other Konami games. So he's Konami's mascot or uh, he's, he's the Konami mascot you've never heard of. Yeah. Like why he, have I not heard of this? He guy? was a mascot. He appeared in several games and clearly he was like the company man, Konami what, man. Can you name any other games or off the top of my head? Yeah, no, no, I, I'm going to look this up later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's it. That is it for our picks for this week. And uh, Aaron, have you been playing anything good for the giveaway or what have you been playing? I just, I should say I've been playing the same thing I've been playing for a while. Let me so. guess. Yeah. Horizon zero. Dawn. I have been playing more horizon <laughs> zero Dawn, so I'm not going to get into it too much because you know, we've talked about it a bit, but I'm 130 hours into horizon zero Dawn. Almost complete. I'm approaching the end. I mean, I'm trying not to look at the percentage screen that shows how much I've completed. Cause I don't want to know that, but I I'm, I've basically exhausted all of the, uh, all of the side quests. So I'm just, just running through the main main quest right now, essentially. My entire PS4 uh, <clears throat> menu screen is just filled with all of your trophies. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Because I'm going I, for platinum on this one. Like I haven't gotten any trophies in any game, and my whole screen is, Aaron's been playing this, and look at all the trophies. <laughs> Actually, so speaking of uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, this sort of fits into the month, but um, you played the DLC. 
I sure did. And the DLC is called? It's called Frozen. The Frozen Wilds. Yeah. In fact, so stay tuned because kind of I will be talking about The Frozen Wilds on next week's podcast. Oh, there you go. And then, uh, Jordan, I believe you brought it up earlier, uh, was that they were going to release like a Game of the Year edition. Well, I heard it was, yeah, you're right. I heard it was like some sort of a complete edition at some point. And I believe I saw that the other day. So it is coming out or it, it is out? It is out, actually. So yeah, if you want to play... Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn with the Frozen Wilds in, built in, uh, you can probably pick it up this and winter. The thing you should know about the Frozen Wilds is that it's not post-game content. It is seamlessly woven into the main story. So if you uh, if you play Horizon Zero Dawn and have the Frozen Wilds installed, it just becomes part of the overall experience. That doesn't like stop gameplay. So you don't have to be worried if you get the complete edition or download the DLC. You could do that at any point in the game. Exactly. Most people, because of course Horizon Zero Dawn came out uh, in March. You know, most people played it, completed it, and then got Horizon, and then the Frozen Wilds just came out in like October. So yeah, it almost makes sense to just get it as soon as possible if you're already playing the game, just so that Absolutely. it doesn't become jarring when you're done and it is inserted afterwards. Exactly. And I will say this, and again, I, I kind of want to save this because I'm going to be talking about it yeah. next week. But for Horizon Zero Dawn, um, the Frozen Wilds is the Frozen Wilds is the best part of the game, hands down so far. I'm not done the game yet, but. I loved it. It was fantastic. And I remember reading that they said it was like the first DLC pack for it. So God, I hope they do more of that. And actually, uh, I was watching an interview with the developer, the lead, like the, the director of the game, I guess I should say. And he was saying they started development on Frozen Wilds a week after they, they like shipped the game. So it was like they did it. They finished the game, shipped it, and then started developing Frozen Wilds and put it out like eight months later. Well, so that's, that's the thing. Good. It's like between March and October to actually get that done and the level of detail and fidelity in the Frozen Wilds that is so well done. And I'll, I'll save most of what I'm going to be saying for uh, for <laughs> when I talk about Frozen Wilds next uh, week. But All right. So yeah, that's not great for the giveaway, but uh, a game, I guess I'll throw in a game that I've thrown in before, um, which is another kind of classic game. I don't. It's not very Christmassy, but uh, it's a game called Owlboy which has amazing pixel graphics and that I've, I've dabbled in just a little bit. I just played like the first like five minutes of it, but uh, um, just an absolutely gorgeous game um, and a great giveaway game. And so that's uh, that's one of my humble bundy, humble, <laughs> humble bundy, bundy, humble bundle games. Woo, that is hard to say. Humble bundle. Thank you. It's uh, on my list, so I want to win it. There you go. So yeah, Jordan can enter and win. But uh, yeah, so that's what we'll throw into the giveaway this week. So that uh, joins Overwatch loot boxes and Sonic Mania. So it's a good, darn good giveaway this week or this month, I guess I should say for Christmas, which I guess it should be. Christmas should be the best giveaway month that we have, December. Uh, yeah, and to uh, win that giveaway, what do you do, Aaron, if you want to win that giveaway? Yeah, you can do all sorts of things. You can uh, tweet at us. You can interact with us on any social media platform that we are on. And you can especially leave us reviews on things like iTunes and SoundCloud and what have you. Yes, exactly. So yeah, just uh, interact with Interact with us in any way, shape, or form on your social media platform of choice. And that is your entry into the contest. Very simple, very easy. Uh, and uh, Christmas is the Christmas Overwatch is coming. It's coming soon. So if you want those Christmas loot boxes, make sure make sure to hop in. It might actually already be here. Yeah. Well, <gasps> actually, by the time you're listening to this, yeah, it definitely will be. So yeah, jump in, get to yourself some Overwatch loot boxes, or if you don't play Overwatch, pick up a free game. Uh, yeah. So that is all for our picks this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it and we will catch you guys next time.